It's Old News with David and Russell. Hello, my name's David. And I'm Russell. And this is Old News. It's good to be back, as always. Yeah, so how are you? I'm all right. Yeah, uh, I've got another new job. Wow! Third new job in a year. Some kind of record. It's the merry-go-round. At this, at this rate of increase, sort of exponential increase, you'll just be whizzing through every department. You know, yeah. like I'll, for I'll ten seconds. A, I'll be working everywhere in the world, everywhere in the universe. <laughs> yeah, you'll be like a quantum of David's. <laughs> <laughs> We'll not know like accurately where you are, you know, yeah. uh, until we observe you. Well, no, you, yeah, you'll not be able to measure where I am. You can estimate where I am <laughs> at any at any given time, but when you come to look, <laughs> on that, I, I could be either alive or dead. Oh dear, working or not. On that equally surreal note, well, actually, referencing um, what they called Schrodinger's cat. Well, there was a very famous incident a little while ago, wasn't there, when uh, Stephen Hawking, he, he was being asked some question in a public forum, and somebody asked him about some like aspects of the Schrodinger's cat analogy, and apparently he spent 10 minutes typing on his little keyboard thing he has, and eventually just said, that damn cat. <laughs> <laughs> well, because if... It was an, al- an analogy originally written to show how ridiculous quantum physics is. It was never, ever supposed to be a good explanation of how quantum physics works. In that it's, it's meant to be unintuitive. Yeah. I don't really understand this. I remember... Once... I read a book once and I understood it while I read the book. Yeah. The I put the book down, it just kind of leaked out of my ears. When I say I understood it, I understood what the book was saying, which mm. was a popular science. It wasn't an actual science well, book. The best the best example of that is uh, a brief history of time, isn't it? Yeah. No, I read that and I did I hung in there and I think in the later chapters it's like, yeah okay, I'm I'm still there. But then I realised that the moment I finished it it was like I didn't retain any of that at all. Old news. I did a a murder mystery tour of Newcastle the uh, other day. On- oh right, yeah, you mentioned this, but this wasn't like fully with actors and things, was it? No. It was like a, a virtual murder mystery. Yeah, you used your phone. Yeah. So you kind of go to a location, and then the phone uses the GPS and says, "Ah, there's a clue here." It asks you a general knowledge question about whichever city you're in, mm-hmm. in my case, Newcastle. And then it gives you like a witness statement from the witness that you've, you're visiting in that location. Oh, right. So it's actually just an excuse for a day out and a walk around town. Yeah. In a way, yeah. I'm walking around for about two and a half hours. Yeah. yeah. Was, was there lots of other people doing it at the same time? Loads of people and lots of people were dressed up. So there was a, an awfully large number of Poirots in Newcastle. Actually. <laughs> the city stuffed of Belgians. Yeah. <laughs> but so presumably it was set in that kind of era. No, no, not at all. 
Oh, really? Yeah, the, the the murder victim was a nightclub owner. Oh, sort of like in a modern, like day, contemporary, yeah. right? Okay. Do you think the the Poirot character you could make it into like a Bond? You could move it through time. Yeah, you could. There's no reason why you couldn't. I don't suppose. That's that's a curious thing then. So, do you think this is going to be a regular event? Probably. It's yeah. it's a company that does it, so. Oh, it has a commercial be, aspect to it. It'll then. be in their interest yeah. to. Um, so, did you it. pay? Yeah, I think it was six pounds or something to take part. All right, per and person. Once you finish, you go to the pub with your mates or whatever, and yeah, yeah. Oh, that's done good fun. So, other news for old news in that we had our first anniversary, didn't mm, we? We did. Which is we totally neglected to remark. <laughs> It in the last episode. It was wasn't it the day after we recorded our last episode or something like that. Yeah, the, there's a friend of mine, uh, Raj. He contacted me to mention. Oh, I think it was when we actually issued the episode. Right. He said, "Oh, did you, you realise? No, this is the first anniversary. Just you didn't mention it. It's like, oh, well done. Thank you very much. <laughs> I feel like we've achieved a bit of a milestone. Yeah, we've uh, survived. Yeah, without a killing each other. B, just utterly getting bored. C, running out of subjects. Mm. We've still got a few ideas in the fire for... We've never ran out of ideas. No, we've never struggled. We've struggled to choose between ideas. Yes, yeah. We've never actually struggled for ideas. I've been listening back some of the older episodes recently. I, I don't know, have you done that? I mean, I've been been doing it for the public <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. posting on facebook and twitter and what have you yeah um, we greatly improved our graphic design elements <laughs> of all these haven't we <laughs> so yeah that, that's been really good now so each episode has a, a photograph and a bit of a graphic associated with this because mm. facebook said that's really good for the advertising so yeah. that's why i suggested it yeah well it's been interesting listening back how i think we have improved I think the, the very first episode, we do sound really stiff. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas now I think we've gotten a little bit used to it. Mm. But uh, we continue to innovate. So this week's our first time that we're actually recording wearing headphones. Yeah, we almost look professional. Yeah. It's kind of interesting, though, because you volunteered in kind of community radio for a while. So mm. you know what it's like to kind of speak and hear yourself at the same time yeah whereas i'm guessing this is new for you yeah it's a little bit unusual yeah you've got that split second delay yeah well they do say that people with stammers like i have that this is actually good for preventing people stammering right i've heard you say that before however apparently it's one of those effects that's temporary no, it'll be good in the short term because they did try for a little while to have like a little hearing aid device for folk. It was essentially just a microphone and a delay, oh, and okay. then play back into the ear. No, just fractions of seconds, and it does work. You know, people who stammer stammer far less with it. But the reason why it's never become a, a commercial invention is because it only has a temporary effect, which is a bit sad for people who stammer. Wouldn't it be great if there was a technological solution but yeah. alas I just rely on you editing it all out yeah. <laughs> how, how much of that do you edit out of curiosity every show is different there's been a few shows where it's been quite hard there's been quite a lot there's been other shows where there hasn't been very much yeah um, 
Because I remember in the very early days, you asked me about that, didn't you, whether mm. I wanted it edited. And I said, well, as long as people understand what I'm saying, I'm not precious about it. But it's interesting to think, what image am I projecting? Is it a mm. false image? Would people who meet me be surprised yeah. that I might stammer from time to time? Oh, news. We've also been doing some exciting things in the world of podcasting yes. as well. We've done a, a co-production. Yes, yeah, co-production <laughs> is the word, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you yeah. haven't done much of the production, to be no. fair. <laughs> content. We provided, yeah, we provided content. content. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we did a joint episode with the excellent people from the Last Tuesday Project podcast, which we've mentioned in the past and we've ran advertising for. And uh, it was great to actually sort of meet them in person as yeah. such. To actually yeah. see their faces. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I've seen the little avatars on Twitter, but that, mm. that doesn't really tell you much. Yeah. But they were all tremendously nice people. Mm. And uh, they've already released their little mini sode. Yes. Yeah, and we do make an appearance in that, don't they? Because they have like a main episode and a mini sode in between times. One of the things that struck me was how much laughter there was. <laughs> uh, and it was laughter that I wasn't aware of during the recording. It was excellent, and we look forward to that uh, the release of that. Yeah. And we're hoping to release it together, are we? As or I think so. You know what? We kind of semi discussed that, but didn't properly discuss it. <laughs> huh? We probably should have sorted that out. We should really have drawn up a contract. <laughs> we did call it. Did we call it last Tuesday's news? Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Yes, not all Tuesday. We yeah. did consider all Tuesday. But last Tuesday's last news Tuesday's was news. pretty good. Yeah. Old news. Oh, right, yeah, and another thing. And another thing. And another thing. We've had some stings. Ooh, We've had explain some old... to people what stings are. <laughs> We've had some old news, newses, news eye, some old eye. Recordings of people saying old news, old news yeah. to go with the ones that we use from uh, Peter, Peter, who's yeah. our regular sort of uh, sting provider. Yes. Yeah. So we've had how many? We've had three. Right, excellent. So uh, one from Haley. From one from Steve and one from Etienne now when I play them I think you'll be able to guess where Steve and Haley are from right okay let's have a guess eee Henny it's old news man well didn't you now I pet it's old news old news hey eee. oh <laughs> we heard that time we got an extra E yeah. oh, oh we could make a Halenator <laughs> we should definitely do that. We should just, we should just, we should just sample bits of the old, uh, the last Tuesday project, and yeah. just make make a, a Haley yeah. soundboard. <laughs> she would really hate us for that. <laughs> oh dear, no, but I mean, they're clearly both from the northeast yes. of England. I'm yeah. guessing, in case anybody's wondering, Hinny is a, an, an affectionate term yeah. you might use for you know your other your other half or maybe it's a child or just a f close friend a close friend well. yeah, yeah yeah i always remember my granddad calling me hinny yeah yeah uh, well I, granddad used to call everybody hinny well that's true he, he did. was very affectionate like that <laughs> i remember him uh, calling a waiter in spain bonnie lad <laughs> it confused the waiter Etienne. Et Etienne is from, well, 
lives in Japan. Lives in Japan. So thank you for that. It it's generally surprises me that we have that kind of reach. Yeah. That we've got somebody from Japan that may be oh, like a westernized name perhaps for mm -hmm. somebody living in Japan we don't know but thank you for your contribution that I'm quite touched actually yeah, yeah that's great yeah. nice to know that there's a community out there we've talked in the past about setting up a reddit page is that something our listeners would like let us know yeah yeah um, if we do set one up It'll be Russell setting that up. Because <laughs> I have no idea how Reddit works. Neither do I. Not, but not the foggiest. I have I, downloaded the app on my phone yesterday with a view to this. So, right, yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, um, we do have a Tumblr now. And we have a Pinterest board. And Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. To be fair, I think I've only posted three times on the Instagram account. But I'm only just, say, getting into Instagram a little bit. I have one photo on there, which is of the badge on the steering wheel of my car. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so I uploaded as a test at one point. You scored a nerd. Old news. If you would like to contact us here at Old News, there are, of course, the usual methods. You can find us on the old-fashioned interwebs. At oldnews.podbean.com. You can email us on oldnewspod at gmail.com. We're available on Facebook, just search for Old News Podcast. And we're also available on Twitter at Old News Pod. And uh, if you can find us on YouTube, then well done. It's old news, man. So, should we move on to our topic? Yes, but please let me take a, a swig of my strong Belgian beer of indeterminate strength. <laughs> I've got another potluck one, an unlabeled. I like this Bel Belgian one, actually. It's nice. But unfortunately, uh, nice tasting beer is often a, a sign of like, increased strength. <laughs> mm. Oh, well, that, that stuff yeah. is jet fuel. Let us talk a little bit about tonight's topic, which is... The Human Genome Project. What has come of the Human Genome Project, more to the point? I was looking at this, and here in Old News, we've always tried to have a particular date to go by. So we've said the 14th of April 2003, which was announced that it was kind of more or less the largely completed project was done. So interestingly, though, I think that might be the wrong date we've chosen... <laughs> Really? <laughs> yeah, so there's this really complicated story that emerges. The project is first mooted in sort of 83, 85 in America, and there's a bit of advocacy by some very well-known people. There's Watson, who was one of the ones that actually found the structure of DNA in the 50s. Oh, yeah. yeah. As in Watson uh, and Crick. As in Watson and Crick, yeah. So and he's one of the early leaders of like one half of the project. And this gets going in 1990. So there's a big public project ran and funded by the USA with international partners you know the UK being one of the kind of the main partners but also France Switzerland Canada you know and even some of the smaller developing countries committed resources through UNESCO mm -hmm. yeah which is interesting but there's a competitor comes onto the scene 
which is a private company, the Celera Corporation. And this is led by a chap called Craig Vedner. So his company comes onto the scene in the sort of late 90s and says, oh, we're going to do this same project with a different tactic and much more sort of computer-heavy computation, um, which is what computers do, isn't it? Yeah. Computation is in the name, right? <laughs> and they come along and they just speed things up and they take a different technique with how to kind of split the genome up and analyse it and whatever. But because of that, there's like a change in tactics and there's a, a rough draft, quote-unquote, which is released on uh, the 26th of June 2000. And I think that might be better remembered because there was an announcement of that which was jointly between President Clinton and Tony Blair. All right. Yeah, so, right, given your tone of the voice, I was now going to apply the JFK test. Do you remember this at all? I can remember announcements. I can't remember politicians getting involved at all. All I can remember was uh, news reports saying it had been completed. Yeah. I think I can remember the joint press conference vaguely, but it was a classic case of where you've got politicians commenting on science issues where they clearly have kind of just a very basic grasp of the science issues. Yeah. Much like I do here, really. <laughs> <laughs> so with all the kind of prizes come, you know, the actual Human Genome Project and the Celera Corporation actually share the prizes, which I also was a little bit unfair because... Celera or Johnny come lately to the party, a huge amount of data is already in the public domain by the time they join. But also they rely on like error checking and things from the main publicly funded project. So they what well, they create some results and then the main project checks for errors. Well, they were using the data coming out of the main project to check their own errors. Ah, right. Yeah, so they're kind of reliant on the public funding anyway. So this is one of these things, right, which I think it, it splits people ideologically, which I think is really interesting. The main project costs $3 billion, I mean, I which is much less dollar, it. right? Many pesos were spent in the <laughs> proceedings. Many of your American pesos. <laughs> Whereas the project that Celera ran was only uh, $300 million, Fair play to them, and they brought a lot of innovation and different new thinking to it, which was fine. But I think in the end, it was still the publicly funded effort. They would have gotten there in the end with slightly old-fashioned thinking, but they provided so much better quality data. And Celera also went on to say that, oh, our data is private as well. Right. And they, well, they got a huge amount of criticism for that, and so they said, oh, no, no, we'll make it available. But there's still restrictions on the data that they provided so they said that academics can get it but only in certain chunks at a time right you know, so a bit like when you buy channels from sky you've got to get them in packages you yes. can't say i'll have this one this one and this one that's right and, and you, you can't have... just download the whole lot is a is a yeah. job lot yeah and they they promised they would only patent a certain amount of genes and in the end, they actually put placeholder patents. Well, they promised like three to 400 maximum, and they actually patented 6,500. Hmm. Although a lot of them don't seem to have gone through or sort of been developed commercially. Yeah. It's so weird. I've never understood that. I do the not patent, understand that as an issue at all. Of, yeah. Because yeah. if you take something in nature and read it, essentially. How is it yours? 
Yeah, how can you patent it as like a novel device? Yeah. It seems to me there's nothing innovative there. If you've developed a new machine to analyse how to read that, fine. Then patent the machine. Patent that, or even patent the technique of software, or you know, you can patent those sort of abstract ideas. But the fact that you would patent the, the sequence. It's like having a magnifying glass and looking at, I don't know, tree rings and yeah. patenting the tree rings. Yeah, I thought the same about like if you cut through a strata of rock and went, oh, there's X many strata of certain types. Oh, I'm going to patent that now. Yeah. So no one else can ever look at 16 strata? Well, presumably you can look at it, but you wouldn't be able to make any commercial gain from the the, fact the, that... the insight you get from it. Yeah. I don't know, it just seems... It seems so against the spirit of what founded this project in the first place it's a very um, american idea isn't mm, it it's yeah. a very sort of republican in office except it wasn't well in in the in the 80s when this project's first mooted it is it's right it's reagan it's reagan it is it's very oh we're, we're going to commercialize this as mm. much as we possibly can and make sure the big corporations can yeah, make as much money, money as they possibly it. can out of it. I think we'll touch on this later about the commercial sort of pressures here, which I think are actually one of the interesting stories that comes out of this. But yeah, there's reading a bit about it online. There's just seem to be this very American slant on things and sort of seller's view on things, the way they did things, the way they behaved was kind of very, very commercial, let's mm. say. Old news. So just to sort of do the last little bit of narrative here, really, because we've got this kind of rough draft in 2000. There's the announcement of completion in 2003. But actually, it's not until May 2006. There's the last chromosome is finally published in Nature, one of the more august journals. One of the things I liked, actually, was when they made the announcement of the rough draft was that the paper that was given by the Human Genome Project was published in Science and the, the the equivalent paper from Celera was in Nature. No, so there's this sort of equal billing giving, but through different channels. So that that, that was sort of a, a nice touch. Interestingly, this only the whole project only maps ninety two percent of the genome. Well, they're not finished yet, then. Well, yeah, it's interesting, right? So I have two words to share with you, but I don't know what they mean. So the ninety two percent is is it eudochromatic, and the other eight percent is heterochromatic. (laughs) But I went to look at what those terms mean, and I was slightly lost. But as far as I understand, the idea behind the the project was that you would take a handful of samples of a genome and you would read those and basically find all the bits they had in common and it was like a representative sample in a way but the 92% is the bit we all have in common in the 8% is a lot of like really tightly bound variable stuff the stuff that's harder to read and is probably to do with more with the variations and so on so there is now a new project uh, which is all dedicated to reading that so they've taken samples from Japan, China Western Europe, an African group, you know, to like give a spread (laughs) 
remember listeners we'd very much like everybody to share and subscribe so we're available on iTunes Pocket Casts Player FM and all your favourite podcast apps and also on Intune Radio and even through Amazon's Alexa so like, rate and subscribe and reviews on iTunes please thank you very much Curiously, because I think this is one of the things that really is a criticism of the project, is that one of the main donors is one guy from New Jersey. Okay. What, to the public project? Yeah, I mean, basically the whole genome effort is mostly this one guy. All right. Right? So obviously in that, there might be a bias in that it's one dude. And we don't really know what the implications of that are. So that's why there is this new effort to read more genomes from different places to to get a better insight into what what the variation might be. I may have misunderstood what you meant there. So when you say donor, do you mean donor of DNA? Mm. Right, so not donor yes. monetarily. No, 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 sorry, donor of, of samples, yeah. Oh, okay. There was a, a weird thing I noticed with the Cellera Corporation that they had like a, a bank of samples of 21 people, of which only a handful of them went through to then become the ones that they analysed. But guess who was included in that bank of 21 people? The, the same one guy. The one guy, yeah. Eee, Henny, it's our newsman. There was a huge amount of hype at the time about sort of the claimed benefits of this. Mm. And so I've got this list of things of people who've claimed that the human genome project will provide insights for, you know, in kind of big portentous uh, announcements. And we've got molecular medicine, human evolution, which is a bit of a worry, but presumably study of human evolution, not actually making humans evolve, which would be a problem. How it happened. Yeah. Diseases, viruses, mutations, cancers, how medicines work, forensics, biofuels and energy, go figure, agriculture, animal husbandry, bioprocessing, risk assessment. Mm. I I do those at work, you know, it's like, ooh. Will he slip over the puddle of oil? Will he not slip over the puddle of oil? Let's have a look at his genetics. Are you, how viscous are you? Was he genetically predisposed not to look where he was stepping? Yeah. <laughs> Bioarchaeology, anthropology, and commercial development of genomics, DNA products, and all that. The anthropology thing really interests me because this strikes me as being really open to abuse. I'm trying to work out how it applies to anthropology. What instinctively makes me nervous is it sounds like racial science. So kind of like saying, well, this group of people have this, this gene, these genes. But see, if you're talking about anthropology, you're then kind of making straight into the jump about cultural practice. Yeah. And the way society, because anthropology is like the study of societies Science, in a way. Yeah. So the way the way people form societies, right? Very broadly. I mean, presumably some academic anthropologist out there who would shout at me. But it seems like a huge leap to go from, oh, well, there's this mutation on this gene here in this population. And therefore they have these cultural practices. I'm not saying that that gap can't be bridged, but it seems like such an enormous gulf. No, intellectually, to get from that point to that point. 
there's a lot of these like in that list of things a lot of these things just make me very nervous the archaeology thing is really interesting though yeah because that might help us with where we from who is related to each other do we know where people came from and whatever yeah. i think that's curious yes there was something else you read out that i went oh yeah yeah read the list again like they mentioned evolution diseases uh, i suppose it was evolution evolution which yeah you can see how that's affected things our knowledge of where humans have come from our knowledge of how evolution works has come on leaps and bounds since then you know sort of oh yeah for sure early yeah. hominids and all that kind of thing yeah but one of the other things that really makes me nervous here is animal husbandry yeah how does the human genome project help with animal husbandry the word eugenics is just knocking on the door there isn't it it's sort of hanging around in the outside of thought yeah could we husband humans Mm. A lot of like when you're talking about things like animal husbandry, you're talking about just the techniques. You've developed a load of techniques on how to sequence genomes, how to f- isolate and find bits of the genome, the computing that might re- require, the software, the lab techniques, and whatever. One of the things I thought was an interesting parallel to draw here, because it starts in 1984-85, and there's another project at the same time that the Americans have as like a big super bit of science, and it's the Superconducting Super Collider. Which, do you remember that sort of being talked about? I do, yeah. Yeah, kind so of. it was like a really vast version of what we have at CERN, in Switzerland now but it would be bigger it was a huge project billions of dollars to be spent on it and they started building it and then they killed it off in the 1990s because largely these big science projects were ways of putting one of the Soviet Union Uh right there was this sort of Cold War clash yeah between things it's interesting this starts in 1990 so I think one of the reasons that this ever happens is actually that it's kind of one of the last bits of the Cold War. Yeah, get it done before the Soviets do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a big dollop of public cash, $3 billion to sort of put, like for a 15-year project. But it happens just before the Soviet Union collapses. By that point, they've already cancelled... Oh, no, the the supercolliders cancelled a bit later on, but it, the, the Genome Project is the one that survives despite the fact it's kind of blue skies and it's unclear what the benefits are going to be um, I think, I suppose in its favour it has lots of kind of uh, big pharma ooh, big <laughs> pharmacological industries sort of surrounding it going but there's potentially big money here yeah. ooh. well didn't you now like pet it's old news the next bit I wanted to look at was the status of gene therapy because I think this is this that's, is one of the things we hope to sort of gain from this. That's what everyone expected, that you would be able to cure everything by therapeutic genes. And especially cancers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always, in my mind, I always imagine people just sort of getting a bit of DNA and just massaging it a bit. <laughs> <laughs> just giving it a bit of a rub. There, there. There you go. You're cured of disease. Yeah. I think there's echoes here slightly of when we did the cloning episode. So if you haven't downloaded the cloning episode, now's mm, your chance. <laughs> Catch up. And there's, there's been this huge amount of promise. And there's obviously this dates back to sort of the early 2000s. And very little has been made of it. Mm. 
Right. So the earliest example of a, a gene therapy being tried was in 1990. So obviously this is slightly before the Human Genome Project's complete, but well, at the beginning, outset of it. It has very limited success for like a couple of people in the trial. That's it. Nothing's really come of it. As of now, there's only one licensed gene therapy. One thing I do remember very clearly, and sort of this is in the kind of the, let, the latter stages of the project, there was a chap called Jesse Gelsiger. Uh, he was he was an eighteen year old, and so we're talking about money and economic pressures here, right? So he was an eighteen year old with a, a liver condition, and so there was a trial to see, well, can we get him to have this gene therapy and he'd be able to process some sort of pro protein? Is to do with getting rid of ammonia? Out of the out of the blood and all this, and uh, died within a couple of days of the therapy. Oh dear! Yeah, so they use like a, a virus as the vector to get the new gene into his system, and he just suffers a massive immune system response. And within a couple of days, he dies of uh, organ failure. It's intensely sad, and I, I can remember this being a big splash in the papers at the time. It turned out in the investigations afterwards, he was actually a substitute for the original volunteer who had pulled out. And it turned out he was unsuitable, okay, right, because he had certain blood levels that were unsuitable and you know he really wasn't a good replacement for the original volunteer mm-hmm. he wasn't really given the full information monkeys that had been given a similar treatment had also died right and they didn't tell him of that properly and also the other patients where they tried similar things obviously in the kind of the build-up to the full trial had suffered really very serious reactions so there's a whole bunch of risks in there that they didn't tell him about. Mm. It's one of these things where the, the institute involved, that's one of the universities in the States, they kind of accepted the the report. I think that like the legal settlement was done out of court, so there was a big sort of payment to the family, but like no no liability was kind of but this totally damaged the field. It was back yeah. in 1999. A lot of scientists had their uh, funding withdrawn. People were reluctant to go down that track. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think a lot of ethics committees were just concerned about, well, are we just going to kill more people? And it turns out that the researchers concerned had financial interests in the potential treatment. Yep, I knew that was where it was going. Yeah. More interested in getting a result than doing good science and getting accurate results, Yeah, meaningful results. And I think this is the problem, isn't it? I think these cures, if we can get them to work, are so tempting. And you see the economic pressures, it must be like gold fever. I don't. I, I absolutely don't want to excuse the behaviour of the people here, but poor guy, 18 years old, was living with his condition, you know, was obviously receiving a treatment that could keep him going at that point. You know, he wasn't told the risks. Old news. The last thing I wanted to touch on, the latest thing which I've seen a lot of hype around is a thing called CRISPR. Have you come across CRISPR? No, I don't think so. Right. So what made me laugh was that it's it's what they call a gene editing technique. And there's this idea... (laughs) Well, just the name of it is C-R-I-S-P-R, which makes it like like a certain location-based dating app. (laughs) 
I, I thought, oh, you know, I've heard so much about this and everybody's talking about it and it's a, a kind of new way of getting genes into, you know, a, a genome and, ed- like, literally editing bits out and putting Put new bits in. in. Yeah. yeah. But I went to look at some of the, exactly what it was, and I'll be honest with you, I have no clue. <laughs> so like, it's not someone with some really tiny tweezers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Pull, a, pulling out a little vine and a scalpel, a sca- yeah, yeah, a scalpel, a tiny, is, yeah. really sharp scalpel, like death's scythe. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just had visions of like you know the old-fashioned film editing suites where you've literally got a run of film coming through and you get to slice Stop. it there and there and put a yeah. new bit in and join it. You know, <laughs> I used to do that with magnetic tape. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. your razor radio blade, things. yeah. A bit of tiny bit of white tape yeah so as far as i understand it's all to do with like using some sort of i don't know bacterial thing I, I, that's as much as i understand of it but they it does seem that with all the hype that surrounds that is that this is going to be the new way in for genetic therapies that now that we're kind of starting to understand a bit of kind of the data that came out of the human genome project and we know kind of know where things are the locations of things the importance of bits of the data now we've got a technique to actually go fiddle with them and we can go fiddle with them really accurately because this has been one of the problems i mean as far as gene therapy goes there's been three deaths Right. In that research, one's the case we mentioned, but there's two others as well. One of them, as they ended up sort of just basically creating a cancer. They, they died of a leukemia. So this idea of this CRISPR technology is that you can very accurately target it. But there's a huge amount of hype around this. And, you know, oh, this is going to be the technique we need to then move on with this sort of molecular medicine. And personalized medicine is a big thing, which I noticed sort of re- yes, reading. Yes, I've read about that. Yeah. yeah, this idea that you would have medicine that would just be targeted for you. My feeling, and this is just my feeling, is we've been promised this before. Yeah, it feels a lot like, oh, it'd be another 40 years, a bit like uh, nuclear fusion. Yeah, you know, the fo- it'll be ready. It'll be ready for use in forty years. It's been yeah, like that and, for and another, the last. 40. Yeah, every ten years, somebody says in forty years' time it'll be ready. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think one of the arguments I came across was that the reason why it's so challenging is just because the like the quantity of data is so vast. It's such a. It's like a large. Is it twenty two billion base pairs? Or whatever it is, it's, just, it's a huge amount of numbers to crunch the the ability to analyze that data increases as per computing power and so they're saying that the ability to understand that data will follow Moore's law and you know, Moore's law this this idea of this is to do with transistors on a silicon chip isn't it originally you know, yeah. originally yeah that that would, would sort of double, double every or half in price yeah, every, every every year, every every two years, two years or whatever. Yeah, something like that. So there would be this exponential growth. So far, Moose Law has broadly sort of held. Not mm, quite. It's slowed down. It has slowed recently. down in recent times. But one of the things that has improved is our ability to produce software that can crunch the data. Mm-hmm. So then it just becomes a matter of how many computing cycles you throw at a problem. And obviously, once you've got the human genome data set, which we already have, and we've had that in the bag for 10 years now, we, we just have, it's just a matter of computing power to, to do these things. So the argument is not so much that this is a technology which is 40 years in the future now. It's more sort of, 
the technology is already here it's just a matter of actually throwing computing cycles at it right and thereby we can sort of extract data and you know understanding old news we live in an interesting world and and i think one of the last things i wanted to mention was kind of one of my kind of favorite movies which does date from this era is gattaca Right, yeah. Yeah, have you seen that? Uh Yeah. And so for the listeners who haven't, essentially it's a science fiction tale about where most people are born in a genetically improved way. Mm -hmm. You know, they've eliminated all of the... They're designer babies. They are designer babies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But there's like an underclass of people who were born who were too poor. Yeah, you know, to not have that kind of treatment. And you just wonder, is this the world we're heading into? It could be, yeah. What what does this mean for humanity generally? You know, that we might... There was that one treatment that costs $1.6 billion ago. Treatments like that might just become the preserve of the rich and yeah. famous. Still about the American sort of flavour of these debates. Like, there's comments about people fear very much what insurance companies would do with this information. But that fear only exists where you don't have national health systems. Yeah. And that struck me as just being like a really American fear. Yeah. Whereas I think we in the kind of the European West would sort of go, well, if the NHS has my genome on file probably quite useful for yeah, them to know fine yeah they might get they might send me letters and say oh yeah you do a cancer next week do you want to come in <laughs> <laughs> we'll remove your arm ready <laughs> yeah yeah oh, well, uh, oh we've grown a new arm for you you know <laughs> yes yeah, was, we'll go to the spares farm. Farm, yeah. <laughs> Pick up your clone. Yeah. So, so here we are in the same debates that we were in the cloning episodes. Yeah? yeah, and I thought this was the echo of that episode mm-hmm. of great promise and like not having really delivered on it yet, mm-hmm. uh, and something which there was a huge amount of fanfare. There doesn't seem to be really a huge amount tangible out of it yet. I think we're of an age now where we will see some of the benefits. Yeah, when we need it. Perhaps, but whether we'll be rich enough to see the benefits. Yeah, well, we're not all sea-going engineers. <laughs> this allegation that I'm rich. <laughs> That's oh, what the funnel's dude. for, isn't it? For you to put all your wallets all in. All so I can s- sit on them, look out at the yeah. top of the funnel, yeah. watching the smoke come out the engine. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of where I wanted to go with this. As usual, would like to thank Peter Kitson, Haley, Stephen and Eddie N for the use of their voices, and Bensound.com for the use of the royalty-free music. Well, thank you all for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thank you, and I've been Russell. And I've been David. I still am. You still are, David. Goodbye. Goodbye. Hello, my name's David. And I'm Russell. And this is... Good News. (laughs) Should we tell that again? (laughs) That bit's still going in. Oh, right. (laughs) It's the outtake. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, oh, yeah, let's let's do it again. Okay.
joint episode with the uh, the excellent uh, old no what they called. <laughs> Should we try that again? We'll record that again. That's <laughs> okay. One that's not Snapchat. What's the other phone-based picture one? 